yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. All of our lives have been shaped in some way by the leaders around us. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Some of which we've never met and seem a world away. Others are close to home and know us well. It's easy to look outside of ourselves and identify great leaders. But how did they get there? And what can we learn from their journey to be the leaders God has called us to be? Let's look at the makings of a great leader. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. How the mighty have fallen, how a mighty nation has strayed. We sold the stars and stripes for lies, over time we've been played. A call reverberates through our streets and through our land, calling for a nation to wake up, calling for a people to understand. The chasm is growing. It's deep and it's wide. What happened to patriotism? What happened to national pride? When greed, lust, and power run wild and unchecked, we need more than armies to serve and protect. The problems go deeper than who do we elect? Which party do we represent? Who's our next president? As a nation, we must take the responsibility to look deeper to the issues of the heart. It's where our nation got started, and it's where we fell apart. Before we look at actions, we need to look at thoughts and beliefs. Morals and principles are what used to guide us, but they've been stolen by thieves in the night who told us it mattered more what we looked like on the surface. In order to unearth this, we need to look back to our Creator, who gave us our inalienable rights. He's the one who gives us the unction to choose. He gives us the power to fight. You don't have to be a genius to look at the climate we're in, to know that something's gone horribly wrong. Call it whatever you want, but God's word calls it sin. We've drifted, we've strayed. There's no point in throwing rocks at our leaders if we won't charge into the fray. To do that, we must remember how the mighty have fallen and how this nation has strayed. We forgot how to pray. We thought we had it figured out. We thought we could do it on our own. But then, all of a sudden, we were on our own. God still loves America. He loves our cities and streets. He's raising up a new generation that marches to a new beat. This generation listens to his voice and is empowered by his word. Their vision is not obscured by the party politics and the lies. With tears in their eyes, they're calling heaven to earth for the birth of a new day. This is the new revolution, and we can join it today. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. Man. Hey, what an invitation. 
What an opportunity, what a challenge for us as a church. If then, if we will humble ourselves, if we will confess our sin, if we will pray and seek his face, then he will heal our land. Church, let's do that right now. God, we thank you so much for this weekend. We praise you for the freedom that we have as your children to come together today in worship of you. God, I pray that regardless of how we're feeling in our hearts or our minds about what media is communicating to us about this election, that we would be encouraged today with a certainty that you are on your throne, that you are king and will be forevermore, that we are your children, that you're our provider, our protector, our loving father. God, I pray that you would be with us this weekend as we wrap up this series. May your word not return void. May our hearts and minds be open to all that you would want to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. My goodness, my name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at Seacoast. So excited to be here with you this weekend. I wanna welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues at an offsite campus. Wanna give a special shout out to our Columbia campus. Thank y'all for letting us borrow Pastor Chris for the weekend. Why don't y'all join me in giving him a hand? My goodness. Wow. I do want that to serve as a warning to the Columbia campus though. You know what they say, when the pastor's away, the people go cray. And so I don't know exactly what that means, but my boy Moses has a testimony, so just behave yourself (laughs) at the Columbia campus. Well, hey, for the last few weeks, we have been in a series called POTUS. POTUS is an acronym that stands for President of the United States, and we've been using just the weightiness of that title and the tension of this election season to do our own series on leadership. And so Pastor Greg kicked off the series week one with a P that stood for platform, and he made the case that if you are a leader, if you're here and breathing, uh, or a person that's here and breathing, that you are a leader, and that God's given you a platform. And oftentimes, where God takes you and what he does through you hinges ultimately on how well you lead yourself. And that oftentimes, when we see leaders of hundreds or thousands fall, it's not because they weren't a good leader of people, it's because they didn't lead themselves well. Uh, the O stood for obscurity, and uh, the, the lesson for us there was that oftentimes God uses the seasons where we feel forgotten or overlooked, the seasons of obscurity, where only he sees our hearts and work ethic and pursuit of him to really cultivate in us the character to sustain whatever it is that he's called us to. The T stands for threshold. Pastor Josh taught us that oftentimes the difference between where we are and where God wants us to be is the pain that we're unwilling to endure, that pain can be God's classroom. Oftentimes he wants to use it to mold us and shape us. Uh, The U, we learned last week, stood for urgency, though we often think in days and weeks and months that God thinks in generations and that at most we're just two generations away from seeing our children or our children's children uh, turn from their faith and pursue the things of this world other than seek after God. And because of that, we announced our partnership with Southeastern University where students could attend here at Seacoast and earn a two-year associate's degree all the while getting ministry experience. And so we're just passionate, urgent about going after and reaching the next generation. And today we are gonna be looking at S, which stands for strong. And as we get started, uh, I'd like to tell you a story. A couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago actually, my, my papa passed away, who was my dad's dad. And uh, papa was a man of few words. In fact, every time he prayed, he would pray the same prayer over food. He'd say, thank you, Lord, for what we're about to receive. 
under big for Christ's sake, amen. And so as kids, I remember us bowing our head and closing our eyes and then open up and looking at each other and kind of mouthing his prayer because we knew exactly, knew exactly what he was gonna say. Um, growing up, Papa had been an alcoholic and because of that, it had a lot of implications on our family. My dad was a high school All-American football player but Papa never saw him play. In fact, I wouldn't learn until uh, the year that Papa died was the first time that my dad heard him say, I love you for the first time. So you can imagine, there was just a lot of relational uh, issues there. But later on in life, Papa would accept Christ. And when he did, it changed everything. Man, he devoured God's word every week. He was serving in the church. He'd be the first one there and the last one to leave on Sundays. In fact, he had become so influential there in the church that when he did pass away, they hung a big picture of him in the gym and named the gym after him, which I thought was kind of unique just because he's not an athlete at all. So it's like, <laughs> let's name the gym after him. <laughs> you know, praise God. I'm hoping that happens to me someday somewhere. But uh, So as his time drew near, I was kind of just uh, excited, anxious to see like, what are his last words gonna be? What's gonna happen between him and my dad and our family? And so um, as he passed away, we were planning his memorial service and my dad shows up with a poem that he wants to read. And I was like, man, wow, okay, I wonder, wonder what it says. Did he write it? He's not much of a poet, so it's pretty cool that he rolls up with a poem. And so as we're planning the service, as Papa's health had declined, my granny's had as well, she was showing some dementia-like uh, symptoms, and for whatever reason, Granny just did not want my dad to read a poem, <laughs> and so, which was funny in and of itself. My dad was like, fine, just forget it. I won't read the poem. Not a big deal. And so the night of the visitation, uh, we're, all, we're all in, and we kind of walk out, and my dad says, hey, you know what, uh, guys, Granny, I want to go back inside and see Papa just one more time, father-son kind of moment, and she's like, okay, all right. And so dad goes inside, and he pulls that poem out of his coat, and he rolls it up, and he sticks it in Papa's pocket. He says, well, Papa, I wanted it for here, but I guess you can have it to go. You'll have plenty of time to read it now. And so he comes out in the parking lot, and, and I said, you okay? And he's like, yeah, I just wanted to give Papa that poem. Guess we showed Granny. I got the last word on that one. <laughs> I was like, well, of course you did, you know? It's just hilarious. How many of you would agree that there is a, a significance, a weightiness to last words? The culmination of somebody's life and and experiences that they wanna communicate in their final breaths. I think about Braveheart. You remember Mel Gibson at the end of Braveheart? Where he's laying there being tortured and with his last gasp of air, he lets out, freedom! You know, you're like, yes! It's like his words like echo and reverb throughout the land. Men far away hear this scream and sit up as if the culmination of all that he had fought for was happening there in his death. I'm reminded of Jesus' last words on the cross. Son of God sent to die on the cross for our sin after having been persecuted and mistreated and crucified and mocked, that his last words that he would utter, it is finished, that the price had been paid in full, that through his death and ultimately through his resurrection that we might have a relationship with God through Christ. Well, today I want us to look at some last words from a guy named the Apostle Paul. Paul was actually a persecutor, a killer of Christians. When he would encounter uh, the risen Lord one day, he was actually on his way to kill Christians. And he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul would have a radical conversion, so much so that when he went to try to meet up with the disciples, they knew who he was. And so he's like, hey guys, I'm one of you now. And they're like, right, you know? You just got a new strategy. You're not, you can't come, you know? It took him a while to warm up. Paul would go on and write two-thirds of the New Testament much like the other disciples, he was persecuted and mistreated, shipwrecked, left alone at open sea. 
The passage we look at today, he's actually in prison. And just a couple of weeks, history tells us just weeks later, he would have his head cut off. He would lose his life for the faith that he so believed in. He's writing to a guy named Timothy. Timothy's in his mid-30s. He's a pastor at a church in Ephesus. All throughout his letters to Timothy, he refers to him as my son. So he's very much been a, a spiritual father. He's the one that planted Timothy here. And so we're gonna pick up today in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 there at the top of your outlines to read Paul's last words to Timothy. And I want us to break this passage apart kind of word by word as we get started. It starts off by saying, you therefore. You therefore. Now it'd be easy for us to think that this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a pastor named Timothy, and I am a stay-at-home mom. I am a business owner, a doctor, a salesman, whatever it is that you might be. But it's in this same letter where Paul would tell Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So yes, it's a letter from Paul to Timothy, but it's also a letter to you and to me. So everybody point to your chest and say me. Me. It is a word for me, a word for you. He goes on, you therefore, my son, be strong. Be strong. And the word he uses there is literally to increase in strength. A father writing to his son saying, you've got to increase, you've got to grow in strength. What do you think about when you hear that word? I uh, think first about the gym. You know, you could go in any gym in the country and there would be some aggravatingly ripped dude that could tell you how many times a week you've got to come, how much sleep you've got to get, how much water to drink, how much Chick-fil-A you can't have in order to be your best version of him, you know? but it's a weight that would be on you, something that you would have to do, something that you would have to execute on that would be difficult for you. You could go in any bookstore in the country and there would be rows of books about how you could grow stronger, stronger as a leader, stronger as a communicator, as a parent, as a problem solver, stronger in, in turning around a business and starting a business. It would go on and on and on of books that you would have to read, filter, and then implement. Again, something that you would have to do. When I think about being stronger, ultimately it comes back to me. Some behaviors that I'm gonna have to change, some things that I'm gonna have to do if I'm gonna increase in strength in any area of my life. But what I love about Paul's words to Timothy is that it really doesn't depend on him. In fact, he's about to go on to tell him, you've never been enough, you're not enough, and you're not going to be enough. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong, increase in strength in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, biblically, there's two different kinds of grace. One is saving grace, which we all experience when we enter into a relationship with God. For he so loved each of us, he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And when we receive that free gift of grace, we enter into a relationship with him. That is saving grace. But what Paul is talking about here is the second kind of grace mentioned in Scripture, and that's sustaining grace or enduring grace. That is the grace to make it through the difficulty in life. What he's telling him is the only way that you're gonna be the, the mother, the father, the husband, the wife, the, the successful business owner, the only way that you're gonna make it in life is by increasing in strength through the grace that is in Christ Jesus as you allow him to empower you to do all the things that he's called you to do. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to say something that we learned last week. The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So here, picture Paul on his deathbed, just leaning in close, grabbing Timothy by the shirt. 
to say, listen, you are two generations away from everyone walking away from their faith. Take all that I have told you. Take all that you've seen in me and entrust it to reliable men that they might go and share it with other men. Here's Paul thinking in generations. Hey, don't let this end with you. Entrust this good news to reliable men that they may share it with others. Well, then Paul goes on to give Timothy three pictures that I want us to look at today, familiar pictures for him and for each of us as to what it looks like to help us get a vision. I don't know about you, but in my life, in every area of my life, where I've seen the most growth and change is where I've had a vision of what it looked like for me to become that man, to find men in our church who are incredible fathers and husbands, to see the way that they raise up their kids or treat, those, treat their wives. That's the most helpful way for me to grow. And so here Paul gives him a picture. If you wanna grow in grace, if you wanna be a leader who is strong in grace, here is what it looks like. The first of which is there on your outline. Leaders who are strong in grace have, number one, the focus of a soldier. The focus of a soldier. Out of curiosity, how many folks here today are active or retired military? Will you raise a hand for me? Look at these hands all around the room. Now it'd be easy for us, yeah. <laughs> worth an applause, worth an applause. You're about to get another one too. because <laughs> It'd be easy for us uh, in, the, in the tension that we feel with this election to forget that this Friday is Veterans Day. And so we just want you to know as a church that your service and sacrifice to our country is more important than anything else that's gonna happen this week. So here in Mount Pleasant, across all of our campuses, let's give them a little bit more rowdy, thankful, appreciative applause. We're thankful for you. Hands all over this room, and I'm sure at the, at the campuses as well. Now what's unique to every one of those men and women, not knowing all of them personally, is that when they entered into armed forces, they made a commitment saying that they were willing to lay their lives down if needed for our freedom ultimately so that we could gather here today and worship. Not only did they commit to laying their lives down if needed, but they were trained in combat, prepared for war. Many of them were given the tools of war, given a gun, saying that if we, if we send you into battle against an enemy, that you are willing to fight, that you're gonna be prepared to fight to protect our freedom. Now in any battle, when you're going against an enemy, if at any point you stop fighting, you would be the one that's defeated. And so the, the picture that Paul is giving Timothy here is that as a believer, you are living in a war. And there is a good and evil, there's light and darkness. And that your battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. You may not see it going on in front of you, but you are living in the midst of a battle. And the only way that you're gonna make it is if you have the focus of a soldier. This is what Paul told him in uh, verses three and four. He said, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. A good soldier doesn't get entangled in the affairs of everyday life. How many of you would agree with me that it is hard to focus in our world today? Man, it's so hard to focus. Just this Wednesday night, we, we had first Wednesday and we had a viewing party afterwards for game seven of the World Series. Uh, at noon on Thursday our, is when our, our notes are due so that they can go to the printer and be here for the folks that meet every Thursday to stuff the worship guide so that you can have note sheets to follow along with the message. They're due Thursday at noon. 
Well, on Wednesday night, second inning, I'm up here watching the game on the biggest screen in town with a couple hundred friends having a great time, but inside I'm stressed because homeboy still didn't have a message. (laughs) (laughs) I had the passage, I just didn't have the outline. So I'm watching the game and I was like, hey fellas, y'all enjoy it, I'm gonna gonna head out. I need to work on the message a little bit. I called Katie just to make sure she was still up because it was a little late. And I got home and she was already in bed and she's 17 weeks pregnant, in case you didn't know, and uh, which is very exciting. And, uh, but when mama's in bed and 17 weeks pregnant, it's lights out, game over. We're not working anymore, I've been working all day and now it's time to sleep. And so, I was like, hey babe, okay, uh, if I could just have 10 minutes maybe to talk through kind of what I'm thinking tomorrow, because she's my best filter. I'll talk through stuff that I think's good and she's like, mm-mm, no, <laughs> let's, let's do. I was like, okay, yeah, I was just kidding, that was a thought, whatever. <laughs> so, she's like, okay, you know, all right, 10 minutes, and so, I'm standing at the foot of the bed, and uh, I turn on the TV behind me. And I muted it, you know, so that I wasn't listening to it, but as I was talking through my thoughts, I just wanted to be able to glance at the scoreboard, just in case anything happened that I needed to be aware of to enhance the message. (laughs) And so so I'm talking, all right, babe, we're gonna be in 2 Timothy chapter chapter 2, verse 1. Paul's talking to Timothy. He gives him these pictures. I don't quite know what the, and I'm constantly checking around. And I get to the first point, uh, he tells us about this soldier, and as I turn around, the Cubs have gone up one more. Well, on the way home, I had been on a text thread with a bunch of guys. They were kind of doing commentating of the game, talking about stuff going on. So I turn back, we'd gone up one, I pull out my phone real quick, still talking through. The second picture he gives us is that, and I'm wanting to see, did somebody say, is it a home run? Like, how did we steal home? Like, what happened? How do we get an extra run here? So finally, Katie's like, hey, 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 if you just wanna watch the game, like, that's fine. You can just watch, the-. and I was like, oh, gosh. I'm talking about focus right now, right? <laughs> and I can't do it, you know? It was just a small moment. That's such a good picture of our lives. So much going on, so much to take care of, not only in your personal life, but in your families, in your businesses, in your jobs, professionally, so much to do. It can be challenging for us to focus. It's so easy for us to get entangled in civilian affairs, but what Paul is telling Timothy is the only way that you're gonna make it the only way that you're gonna experience all that God has for you, that you're gonna grab hold of the life that you want is if you have the focus of a soldier. You're gonna have to remember that you're in a war and the commanding officer has given you a mission. And with everything that you've got, man, you're gonna have to focus on it. That's your only hope of making it. So leaders who are strong in grace wanna have the focus of a soldier. Second picture he gives them is that leaders strong in grace have the discipline of an athlete. The discipline of an athlete. How many of you here would say that you're an athlete? All right, a couple confident hands going up. I'm proud of you, that's good. Kristen, you are an athlete, that's great. All right, you might remember, game six of the World Series. Addison Wayne Russell steps up to bat. 22-year-old kid, 22 years old, steps up to bat and fulfills the dream of any young boy who has ever picked up a bat in his life, okay? The, the, towards the end of the series, game six, the Cubs are down one, the bases are loaded, and he hits a grand slam. I'm telling you, I was running around my couch in the living room, fired up. He'd go on to hit in two more runs, setting all kinds of records. I was so fired up, and as a guy, man, those are the moments I live for. Like, I could care less about all the talk television on ESPN, show me plays of the week. I wanna see the top 10 because that's the stuff that's gonna inspire me to get out in the yard with Abel throwing the football, to get in the driveway with our basketball and dunking on his friends. I don't care if they're eight. You know, something about it (laughs) 
feels like this is what I was made for, you know? It's the stuff that, that inspires us. But as an athlete, if we're gonna have the discipline of an athlete, the prize or the payoff is what we all love to see. But I wonder if they were to make a video of the price that they paid, the months, if not years, of discipline for those brief moments of performance. Would I be willing to pay the price in order to get the prize? That's the video that I wanna see. Well, a couple months ago, I found it, and I wanna share it with you. Check this out. great? I'm telling you, if that doesn't make you want to rip your shirt off and put on a Speedo, nothing will. I'm serious. <laughs> I saw that. I float like a brick, and I was like, I'll roll myself with you. Let's do it. Until the alarm goes off at 4.30 tomorrow morning, I'm be like, you do it, man. Roll yourself. I'll be right here. <laughs> My gosh, the discipline of an athlete. He was telling him the only way you're going to make it if you have the discipline of an athlete. He goes on to say, 2 Timothy 2.5, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. So he gives him this picture of an athlete. And then he tells him, hey, the ticket in to competition, to even playing in the game, is a willingness to play according to the rules. In the World Series, there were a number of times where the bases were loaded. Somebody was up to bat, and they, they struck out. Now, can you imagine what would happen if, if the guy turned back to the ump and said, man, one more swing, I'm really feeling it. Stay on the field, guys. This is it. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, no, you're out, dude. It's ridiculous, the rules. Three strikes, that's all you get, you know? If you hit it to the right of first base, that's a foul ball. The left of third base, that's a foul ball. If you try to bunt and it goes foul on your third strike, you're out. Like, the rules are the rules. And agreeing to the rules is what all the athletes do when they step onto the field in order to compete. And for us as believers, the same is true in our lives. In God's word, he's given us the rules to the game. And they're not rules to confine us or constrict us or that we wouldn't have fun in life, but the rules that if we follow, we will experience the abundant life that Christ came to offer. Rules as to how we see and steward our finances. Thousands of us have been studying that, going through Financial Peace University classes across all of our campuses. Rules relationally, that we would enter into a covenant of marriage honoring the rules that God has laid out. Guys, that before she is your wife, she is the bride of Christ, that you are to pursue purity together. 
You can't come before a pastor or whoever's officiating your ceremony and approach the relationship however you want, expecting God's favor and blessing to be given to you in marriage. We have to approach it in the way that he lays out. Just as an athlete agrees to the rules when they step onto the field. Man, if we will study his word. Scripture says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By hiding God's word in his heart. If we'll hide his word in our hearts, if we'll seek to understand the rules and apply them to our lives, then we can be sure that we'll step into the abundant life that Christ came to offer, that we'll experience all he has for us. So leaders who are strong in grace, they have the focus of a soldier. They have the discipline of an athlete. And lastly, they have the work ethic of a farmer. The work ethic of a farmer. How many of you know any farmers? You know somebody? Until we moved here, I didn't know any farmers. Uh, Nate Davis, who is our, our worship pastor, had been a worship leader in Charlotte, and God just renewed this like passion in him for encountering the creator and creation, and he just loved being out on the land, tending the land, caring for animals. And I remember he used to post Instagram pictures of he, him being out early on the farm as the sun was just barely creeping up over the trees as I'm just barely crawling out of bed, you know? That whole early bird gets the worm. I didn't know that was really a thing, like a farmer thing, you know? The chickens need to eat. As soon as the sun comes up, man, they're all up, getting around. But I remember in that season, just so fascinated about the change that he had made in his life that I wanted to learn all about it. You kind of have this picture of a farmer on a tractor, just riding around, you know? But actually, a farmer is a scientist, a veterinarian, a businessman, an entrepreneur, They've gotta have vision for their product. They've gotta cultivate the land to raise it. They've gotta market it. They've gotta sell it and sustain it. It's amazing how a mechanic caring for the tractor. It's amazing how much a farmer actually does. I heard him one night talking about gathering up the chickens for processing. And, and he had to do it about the time the sun went down as they were starting to wind down for the day. And I was like, all right, well, tell me the next time you do that. I wanna come out there with you and, and help. You know, just kinda of see how that goes. It sounds cool. So I was a little scared inside, I didn't tell him that. Uh, but I did show up in sweatpants with jeans over them, a long sleeve shirt and a winter jacket, kind of walking out like, I'm ready, man, you know? <laughs> I thought at any point they were gonna turn on me like, ka 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 we know what you're doing, you know? <laughs> I was scared. But I was amazed watching him. I remember one night at small group, uh, it was rainy and cold, late in the year, and uh, he had built these mobile chicken coops that he was moving around the land. And uh, they were at a low point in the field. We're in the middle of a small group, the rain picks up, and he's like, hey guys, I gotta, I gotta go. I'm like, why, what's going on? He's like, well, the chickens are at a low spot in the field, and if it rains bad, it's gonna flood, and a lot of the chickens will die. I was like, well, bro, praise God, you're gonna take them to get processed. This is God helping you. Like, <laughs> you don't need to go out in the cold and rain. But I just learned, man, the life of a farmer. They are committed to doing what they need to do, not doing what they want to do. Because I'm gonna tell you, no part of me wanted to go out late at night in the rain, but he was willing to do it. His work ethic in that season was incredible. Paul gives Timothy this picture and he goes on to tell him in verse six, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive a share of his crops. What in the world does that mean? Well, a farmer casts seed. They, they tend up the soil and they cast seed in order that they would reap a harvest. And the picture he's giving him of, of us in our lives as believers is that we are planters or we are peddlers of hope. That we interact with people that have lost all hope, that are in difficult and challenging circumstances, people that have lost life. We speak life into dead places because we have it inside of us. And what Paul was telling him is that the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive, receive a share in his crops. That the only way I can offer hope to the hopeless is when I myself have encountered it. 
when I've allowed that harvest to be reaped in my life, that when I come into situations that I've lost hope, that I'm reminded of Jesus' victory on the cross, that I'm reminded that I have a relationship with God, that I'm his son, that he's, he'll never leave me nor forsake me, that he's given me his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, that I encourage myself that I'm the first one to have that hope so that I can share it with others. Paul tells him, hey, if you're gonna be a leader that's strong in grace, these three pictures, these roles, hold on to them, that you would have the focus of a soldier, the discipline of an athlete, the work ethic of a farmer. And then I love how he ends this series of pictures with Timothy in verse seven there on your outline. He pretty much tells him to go have a quiet time. He tells him this and then he says, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. It's like, oh, great. I don't know about you, but when I think about those three pictures, the soldier, the athlete, the farmer, man, it just feels heavy on me. Because if I'm honest, as I look at my life, as I look at my, my struggle to keep focus, my struggle to be disciplined in some things that I really wanna do, some places where I know, man, I've got work ethic, but I need to address my work ethic. Just feels like, where do I start? Man, it feels so heavy. And what Paul's telling him here is that, hey, my call for you was to be strong, to increase in strength in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You were never able to do these things. You're not gonna be able to do these things. In the future, you won't be able to run after these things, but if you'll be strong in his grace, if you'll go and have a quiet time, pray through these three pictures and say, God, how would you have me respond here? His spirit will reveal to you the first baby step. What's the one thing that you could do this week? What's one area of these three points that God might be calling you to take a step? Because I want you to be strong in his grace. His spirit is living inside of you. This isn't about behavior modification. I don't want you to just go start doing things differently. I want you to seek me. See where I would like you to take a step and then trust my spirit to empower you that the change that comes about would be birthed in you. That it wouldn't just be seen on the outside but would be cultivated on the inside. If you're anything like me, you hear that and think, okay, well, I'm excited, and I really am excited to go and pray through each of these points for me. It was an exciting message planning process, even because I felt like God was like really ministering to me and showing me some areas in my life uh, that he wants me to address. But what can you actually do today, leaving this, as you pray through this this week, what, what, what can you do? So a couple thoughts for you there on the back of your outline. Some things that I can do to grow in grace, the first of which is I can grow in grace when I commit to endure. Commit to endure. After Paul gives Timothy these few pictures over and over and over in the rest of the chapter, he says, I endure suffering, I endure hardship, I endure persecution so that others might experience the risen Lord. And in verse 10 he tells him this, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may attain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. See, Paul had decided before he experienced any persecuting, any suffering, any of the shipwrecks, any of the 40 minus one lashes, he had decided that I'm going to commit to endure. And man, in our lives, if we wait until things get tough to commit to endure, there's a good chance that we're not going to. So the first thing that we can do is, is commit, decide today. That hey, over the next week, even as I start praying through those three pictures, or in fact, maybe even now for some of you, there's some situations where it would be a whole lot easier for you to run, a whole lot easier to maybe ignore the problem or try to change the circumstance. You think in your mind, man, if I could just change this person 
Or if I could just change this circumstance, my life would be easier. Maybe this would be better for me. But maybe they are the very thing, that is the very thing that God is wanting to use to form the character in the, allowing you to become the man or woman that he created you to be. And unless we commit to endure, we're gonna continue to go around this cul-de-sac in life, broken relationship after broken relationship, circumstance after circumstance. But if we will commit to endure, to remain under him, man, we can be certain that he loves us, that his plans for us are good, that he's gonna mold us and fashion us into his image, but we have to commit to endure. You can do that today. The second thing that we have to do is boast in my weaknesses. Boast in my weaknesses. How many of you have ever been in the job interview where they said, all right, we're glad that you're here today with us. Appreciate you taking some time driving in, if you wouldn't mind. Maybe tell us a little bit about your strengths and weaknesses. It's like, all right, well, strengths, um, I'm, I'm a hard worker. I mean, I'm passionate about the job. You can be sure that when it's got my name attached to it, it's gonna get done. I'm gonna run after it hard and uh, do it with excellence. And they're like, all right, that's great. Tell us about your weaknesses. And it's like, well, sometimes I work too hard, you know? <laughs> I can neglect myself, my hobbies, for the sake of getting the job done. And uh, <laughs> it's like, right, what else are you lying to us about? That's ridiculous. We all have weaknesses. You know, it's true, but culturally, man, it is not easy for us to present them. We do our best to hide them, to avoid them, to not talk about them. In fact, if I were to say, hey, I'm gonna give you just a few minutes and I want us to just all write out a list of our weaknesses. There's a good chance you would sit there with your pen on the paper, not writing anything, just thinking through, because it's hard for us to even own them ourselves. It demands that we humble ourselves. This is what Paul says about that in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. He said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardship and persecution and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, it's only when we get to the end of ourselves when we'll acknowledge, man, I'm weak in that area. For Katie and I, man, for date nights, guys, just go ahead and write it on your note sheet. You're weak in that area. I don't think about planning. I love getting out and having a great night with Katie. But man, it's taken me a couple loops around the block for me to learn that like, man, I put a lot of planning into everything and that is the most important thing in my life. So I don't knock it out of the park every week, but you better believe every now and then I'm gonna plan something awesome that she's never gonna forget that's gonna have my name attached to it, you know? It's a weakness for me. What are, your, what are your weaknesses? If you'll own them, when you get to the end of yourself, if you'll boast in your weaknesses, then you will be strong. And I just don't want results that I can accomplish. Man, that is a mediocre life. I want to experience things that when I look back, I say, how in the world did that happen? I never would have imagined experienced something like that. And I never would have thought that it could happen by boasting in my weaknesses, by saying, I couldn't have done that. I couldn't do that, but God, but God. If you'll acknowledge your weaknesses, maybe start praying through them, make a list of them, get comfortable with them. I remember being in a meeting with Mac Lake, who used to be our leadership development pastor before he went on and left Seacoast. A project came up in a meeting one day and everybody thought highly of Mac, and so they're like, hey, Mac, would you mind carrying this for us? And he was a hardworking guy, but he said, hey, y'all don't want me doing that. That's not my, my gift mix. I'm glad to serve, I'll do it if you need me to, but I'm not good at that, you know? And I remember as a younger guy just thinking like, wow, what would I say that about? And I didn't have 
I didn't have much that I wouldn't say at the time. I kind of think if I work hard enough and learn enough, I could do anything. Man, that's just not the case. There are some areas where I'm weak. There are some areas where you're weak. And if you don't know what they are, just ask the people closest to you, because they all know, you know? <laughs> Get comfortable with your weaknesses. Make a list of them, you can do that today. Third thing that you can do to grow in grace is to remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. This is what Paul told him. At the end of telling that uh, story, those three pictures, he says, remember Christ Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ. Not the stories about him. Uh, not the incredible things that he did. Remember the man. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. The, the son of God sent here to pay the price for your sin. He who was no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. He was fully man, fully God. Paid our price in full. Paul says, this is my gospel. Gospel literally meaning good news. Paul's on his deathbed, weeks from his life ending, and he said, this is the good news for me. My good news. He was telling Timothy there, hey, you have got to remember Jesus. As you think through the focus of a soldier, as you think through the discipline of an athlete, the work ethic of a farmer, I want you to remember Jesus. It is finished. Your struggle with sin, as you look at your life and say, well, I can't do that because I'm this way, or I've always been that way, or I can't do that, or I'll never do that. I want you to remember Jesus because of what he accomplished. Scripture tells us that we would do even greater things that there's nothing that God can't accomplish in you or through you, but you have to remember Jesus. Put yourself in scripture, sitting there on your knees like Mary, looking at the cross, that you would remember all he endured for you, that you would remember Jesus. Man, as we head into this election season, I think like that's what we want. That's what we want for our city. That's what we want for our state. That's what we want for our country, a man or a woman that would remember Jesus. Acknowledging they're full of weaknesses because we all are. Acknowledging they don't have the right answers because none of us do. We don't know everything. But man, if we will remember Jesus, what might happen in our lives? What might happen in our church, in your workplaces, in your family, in our community? Man, if people would come here and say, man, there's something different. Just like when they saw the disciples, Scripture says that they took note that they had been with Jesus. Being with them changed their countenance, changed their person. Man, if we will just remember Jesus, it'll change everything about our lives, church. It's the people that we're called to be. Not a people who are perfect, but a people who are focused and disciplined with a work ethic to go after God with all that we've got to see what he might do in our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this letter. I praise you, God, for these pictures, just for this vision of what I can run after as your son, as a man of God, as I lead my, my family, as I help lead our church, God, as I share my faith, as I become the man that you've created me to be. God, may you help me, may you help us. God, empower us by the work of your Holy Spirit inside of us to focus on the commander's intent, to remember that we are in a battle, that there is a war going on for our souls and that you have incredible work for us to accomplish. To remember that we're gonna need to be disciplined. We might need some accountability to actually follow through on the things we've always wanted to do or felt called to, that we're gonna need the work ethic of a farmer. God, I'm the first to acknowledge I can't do all of that. You tell us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. May that call not land on us in a way that feels heavy today. May your grace just cover us, come upon us, God, but inspire us, move us, 
to take a step, a baby step, to become the men and women that you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.